Hey, hey there. Welcome to episode three of Make It Clap, like butt cheeks, but also applause. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Gavani Kimaru. In this episode, I'm chatting to Andrew Onyango, who also happens to be my husband. We can start off, you can tell everyone how you know me, or how we know each other, um, and then just like a little bit about yourself, what you're into, and we'll take it from there. Okay, um, so the summarized version is I am the father of your child. Uh, the, the the donor of genetic material to make our child, mm-hmm. um, but I am also your husband and life partner and man friend <laughs> and all those nice things uh, that people say to each other. But uh, yeah, we are friends. We are husband and wife. We are boyfriend and girlfriend, uh, and all of that in between. Yeah. How long have we been together? Five years? No, not five years. Uh, eight mm-hmm. years. <laughs> Has it been eight years? No. Yeah. Uh, we got into a conversation about what it's been like for him living with ADHD. This episode's title is Stupid as an Identity. And Andrew lets us know what it's been like for him growing up with this idea that he was stupid, feeling like everyone got it except him. Here's the first part of our episode. Uh, Yeah, so you're definitely going to hear a lot of background noise. But then I think the other thing um, people are going to wonder is we live in the same house. Why is this a phone call? We're trying to preserve the vibe that I've had going in the other episodes. So I told Andrew to leave the house and go take this call elsewhere. So that's why. It's recorded in this way. We're not being like weird and extra. Okay, I think we are being weird and extra, but it's okay. It's okay to be weird and extra. I'm weird <laughs> and extra all the time. Literally in my life, my mode of living, my mode of operandi is to be weird and extra. What do you mean when you say stupid as an identity? So, um, first of all, it's stupid in quotes. Um, oh, yes. So just yeah, I think I grew up. Um, so first of all, for context, I am diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. But in my, con- in my case, I consider it to be more just the attention deficitness. I don't know, the hyperactiveness stopped when I was around a teenager. Um, I stopped being interested in like actually moving around and doing things. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I do struggle a lot with maintaining um, attention or interest uh, in certain topics or in certain actions. And I have to build little programs and systems in place to help me stay on topic or stay focused. Um, Even sometimes when I'm talking and you've experienced this, I can literally trail off because I've lost like, and it's more frequent than I would like it to happen, but I've completely lost where I was going with something. Mm. Then later on, four or five hours later, it will come back to me and I'm like, this is what I meant. And of course, (laughs) by that time, Dawn is like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the backstory of that is be it in school, friendship groups, um, or even at home, uh, and this is with no disrespect to my parents, but even at home, the word stupid would be used a lot. Um, and over time, growing up hearing it over and over again, kind of started to resonate with me that I must just be stupid um, because 
um, growing up, people seemed able to just get things mm. that I wasn't able to get. So I started to resonate a lot growing up with that word um, and various other versions of it, be it mm. uh, dumb, uh, weirdo, creepy. Um, they all kind of, for me, come back to the same space of stupid. Mm. Like, why are you doing this thing that no normal person would do or say uh, and stuff like that? So, um, of course, that led to a lot of consequences. And you're a child and you're growing up with stupid as an identity. The bad stupid is you kind of beat yourself up a lot for not being able to understand things that other people are understanding mm. or not being able to do things other people are doing easily. Um, and, of course, your parents are very worried. They're like, what's going on with this kid? Like, why can't he just buckle down and actually read or buckle down and study or not open all the electronics in the house? Mm. Or, like, why can't he not be him? Um, and that kind of leads to a lot of uh, depression. Yeah. So, like, I started, um, it creeped in, but I started having depression from when I was a very young kid. And the symptoms were all there, like the withdrawnness, um, uh inappropriate behavior or conversations and whatnot mm. and of course a lot of that when you're diagnosed with attention deficit it's kind of like oh okay that's what that is <laughs> yeah um but yeah you kind of in my case i really identified with the word stupid um and it was much later and after years of therapy some medication uh voluntary electrocution that i kind of started to resonate with stupid not as a word but in quotes um sort of taking away the meaning of the word stupid and giving it a new one of curiosity because yeah. before you learn anything you're stupid like mm. before a child can walk is stupid in the in the field of walking if i can put it that way mm. uh, before they learn how to speak they can be called stupid in the realm of of speaking especially by uh, quote-unquote experts um, so like if you can do something really well you might look at someone else and say wow you know you're an idiot why can't you figure this thing out yeah but the if the person's willing or in my case if I was willing to be okay with myself not knowing things and to learn gradually and to be okay looking stupid until I figured it out um, mm -hmm. that really would have helped me build a lot more confidence um, than if I wanted to be perfect from the get-go, yeah. which was my biggest problem, is I always wanted to be perfect from the get-go. Um, so, like, if I observe someone doing something, um, like when I was a kid and I observed my brothers playing video games, for instance, Austin and Hez were very close um, for a very long time, and they would do things sort of without me, who was the younger one. Mm. So I would watch them do things, um, and then I would try them privately to try and master them. So if they were playing a video game, I'd watch Hez or Austin play it. And then I'd like play the same game and try and master it. Yeah. So by the time you see me play it, like I'm one of you, you know, like mm. don't push me away. I'm one of you. Um, and that kind of carries on to almost all areas. Um, so in high school, um, all the rites of passage, I would kind of observe people doing them first, then I would find, see if I can find a way to do it privately so that I'm perfect at it before I show it. Here's the downside. 
mm-hmm. I was never a perfect artist, like ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I could practice all I wanted, but when the time came to actually do the performance, I would fail spectacularly. Um, I mean, but that was mostly with human interaction. With things like video games, I just got it from the get-go. So I'm so good with computers. <laughs> I was actually going to ask, what are the type of things that you struggled with the most? Like, you've talked about the things that came easy for other people that you don't feel came as easily for you. So I'm curious, what are those things that specifically that you think you struggled with the most? Learning and relationships. Those, yeah. those two were my... Um, uh, I don't know what a Greek mythology version of a really difficult thing would be. A Herculean um, task. Yeah, those were my Herculean tasks. <laughs> those were my hydras. Yeah. <laughs> one head and like six more appear. So like with learning, because of the ADHD, um, learning involves a lot of reading. And even now, if I'm given like a report to read, I literally skim it. And then if I see something interesting now, I read that section. Mm. Um, And that's a skill I had to learn over time. But when I was a kid, you give me a book. And if it is not interesting from the get-go, I am just out. If you can't latch onto the narrative or the thing, if you can't um, connect to it uh, immediately, which is sad. I know it's hard, but if you can't connect to it immediately, you kind of lose interest. And that's why... um, sort of more destructive things are are the things that a person with ADHD is likely to lean towards because they're always exciting. Um, so yeah. coming back to um, stupid as an identity is being able to leave that space open. Stupid in quotes, not stupid. If somebody calls you stupid, you, you know, like if you have the, the ability to punch them in the face. like Punch them in the or, face. Yeah, okay, don't. Physical violence is not a thing that I I celebrate unless it's being done on like WWE, which I love, or like UFC. Um, I don't. I'm basically more or less a pacifist. Like I don't really celebrate violence. Punch them in the face. Well, protect yourself. Learn <laughs> learn to be able to, which is sort of where I'm getting to with this stupid as an identity is learn to protect yourself mm. uh, by taking the insult. Um, and then looking at it in a different way and saying, that doesn't mean I'm an idiot. It means I don't know something. And if I don't know something, it means I can learn it. And if you can learn it, then you're in a position of power. And that's what I look at uh, stupid as an identity as, is it's a position of power. It's a space where you're saying, um, I know some things about this area or this thing, but mm-hmm. I don't know and I am willing to learn and I am open to hearing more and to interacting with people and learning more and which means um, you're gonna have to be the person who puts yourself out there to ask the dumb question in the office meeting you're gonna have to be the person who um, tests something that you shouldn't test like everybody says don't put your hand in there if you're really curious as to why and nobody can give you a rational reason as to why put your hand in there and see what happens Mm. Uh, then more or less throughout my life i've kind of been a guinea pig because people are like oh shit i didn't even know that was possible until andrew did it yeah Uh, mostly because what ends up happening to a lot of us is we grow up with these uh blocks or barriers of things we can't do but people don't really tell you why you can't do them Mm. they just tell you you can't do them because they were told they can't do them 
and it goes the train goes on and on like that but someone has to try it before we realize oh you really shouldn't do this because there are, there are instances where you learn something you're like yeah that really doesn't work yeah but then once or twice you get and it's not a lot it's just once or twice like a 0.1 percent success rate you you do something and you're like oh wow like nobody knew this was possible um so yeah it's it's a mixed bag and that's the way i would describe stupid as an identity is um, don't look at it as a punishment. Look at it as a lack of knowledge and a lack of knowledge can be remedied. So I think, I mean, I obviously know this, but people listening probably don't know this, but you got your ADHD diagnosis like really late in life, right? So um, I don't know if you had like an awareness of it. I think you've talked about like just feeling not like everyone else, but what was it like before you got that diagnosis and then like what did getting that diagnosis eventually do for you so yeah i um i got the diagnosis when i was in my 30s and that's like three decades of the world working on me already Mm. um so like i've described slightly before um before i knew i was all over the map emotionally um spiritually uh intellectually like i just had the broadest range of interests you can possibly imagine and one of the downsides of being one of those people who can do everything or like not do everything well but do everything to a certain extent like let's say c plus at everything or c minus at everything let's Mm -hmm. go lower Mm -hmm. um one of the downsides is that you're not really great at anything. No one can look at you and say, Andrews are really great in such thing here because they've seen you sort of be kind of good at sports, kind of good at swimming, kind of good at school, kind of good, but they, um, for their own needs, kind of desire you to be great at something. Like I, growing up, one of the biggest back and forth was school because um, like most families they're normally not like most um middle class i don't say middle lower middle class families the resources mm-hmm. are not as much so mm. if you're in school someone's taking a hit for you to be in school and if you can't get that a or that b that validates you being in school there's a problem that needs to be remedied um because like we can't keep this up we can't keep putting you um through school over and over again and I love my parents because they knew I was smart um, and they knew there was something um, something about me that they couldn't quite figure out how to manage, mm. but they were really trying their best um, in terms of uh, paying for additional tuition, paying for um, pre-university or things like that because like I couldn't get a good grade to just get into university paying basically they covered a lot of my um, failings with money Mm. but on my end I felt guilty because my failings had to to be covered with money Mm. Um, so like and that's why I speak about things in terms of resources because that's how I understand the world like there's not enough of this thing and if I can get something right off the bat it means someone has to take a hit to give yeah. me another chance at it and that person is not me um when you're a child and you have that awareness it kind of messes with you a lot uh because 
uh, you actually apply yourself a lot. Here's the thing with people with ADHD, they actually apply themselves a lot, but they can't seem to latch onto a thing and do it really well unless mm. it's something that interests them immediately. Um, and that's where the downside comes in because parents are like, come on, I've seen you read an entire 500-page Harry Potter book. What yes. is this one chapter in biology to you? Like, they can't understand what's the problem. Mm. I've, I've seen you learn how to use a computer in a month. What is this um, other technical thing? Like, why is it a problem? Mm. Because they see that it's, it's a dopamine issue. It's a, you can't regulate um, what you're interested in and what you're inter- not interested in. When you're an adult, you can just say, I don't care. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. look at this book. It's really amazing. Guys, we should do this. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm, I'm not going to read that. But when you're a kid and these expectations on you, it mm. starts to form a complex. Um, getting that diagnosis for me, um, first of all, I cried. Um, mm. And most, most people who get the diagnosis, especially late in life, they cry because the first thing that hits you is every moment where you knew something is blocking you from understanding something Mm. um it's kind of a validation moment where you're like i like there, like it's seen there it is i'm not crazy i'm not crazy and i'm not the only one that's another thing that hits you at once is like Mm. i'm not the only one well i don't know i don't want to ask like do you worry but like do you think about what if bo has adhd most deaf i mean i see it sometimes um but i think i'm in a better position knowing what i'm dealing with because i can help her figure out what's going on and how to use it to her advantage um yeah versus playing against all the expectations Mm. um which is so let me pick it up from the awareness of and i'll finish with this is so when you're a kid and you have adhd you're very aware of yourself it's not that you don't know you've done something that's embarrassed a bunch of people or made people look bad or disappointed people you're very aware of it but it's like a compulsion that keeps you going you just want to keep knowing keep learning you're curious about everything you want to test everything you want to open all the radios and see what's inside even though you've done it like 50 times you want to know if this radio is different from the other radio and it's not even shade on my parents because in their generation there are no words for these things leave alone like help yeah Um, because i took the step to go to therapy and to try and figure it out and to get diagnosed and to try out the medication and to see what the therapies are available and to because i've learned all that I can sort of guide Bo better and be like, people like me and you, we are a little different. But that's also saying if she is. Yeah, I mean, she's like a three-year-old, right? She's literally the most hyperactive (laughs) person ever. I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose my child. And even if a doctor was to diagnose my child at three years old, I'd be like, you're full of shit. Yeah. she's three like and that's kind of the thing i remind myself all the time as well she's three she's not an adult she has no context for anything so if she breaks something i have a choice of whether to be like yo this is really expensive why did you do this or i can just be like you know what it's a thing and it can be replaced and i don't want you to form an association that things have more value than you and it's time for a quick break 
When we come back, Andrew and I continue this conversation on his ADHD diagnosis, what it's been like living with that, and how it's impacted pretty much every aspect of his life. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to the Make It Clap podcast. Like, butt cheeks, but also applause. (laughs) I'm your host, Gavani Kimaru. In this episode, I have been talking to my husband, Andrew Onyango, about what it's been like living with ADHD. Um, He got his diagnosis late in life, and we continue that conversation now. I know... um... Black people say you can't fix stupid, but in this case, you very much can. Yeah. <laughs> if, if stupid, if stupid is the process of like unlearning and learning new things, right? Exactly. It's it's being willing to say I do not know, um, mm. but I want to, or I I'd, I'd like to. That's that's the way I see stupid in quotes is being able to say I don't know, um, but I want to know, and I'm willing to look stupid. I'm 100% willing to look stupid until I know. Yeah, it's like the, I guess basically the thing that is the the feeling or the idea that you are stupid is not a state of, there's no state of permanence there. Like that can always be changed, right? So mm. that's what I got from what you said. It's kind of, it's this idea also that, um, it's this idea of like surrendering to the stupid, right? So what you said just reminded me of uh, one of the emails I think that went out from Esther Perel a couple, maybe last week. And the thing she was talking about is like when, when you're fighting, especially like in a couple or I guess in any kind of dynamic, if there's a two of you, someone is going to dig in their heels and that's going to make the other person dig their heels in even more because you're just reacting to what's presented to you, but then it's never going to get resolved. And that kind of made me feel like if you keep fighting the fact that you don't know something or you don't want to look stupid about something, mm-hmm. then you're, you're, just, you're digging your heels into your ignorance, right? You're saying that you I, I don't want to change my mind about this. I don't want to learn different. I don't want to experience this from anyone else's perspective other than myself. And what I'm hearing from you is like this idea of not wanting to look stupid has such far greater reach and consequences than, than we think, than just the feeling of, I don't want to look stupid, but really you're holding yourself back from so much more. Exactly. Um, And that's 100% it. Like you've literally summarized anything I would have wanted to say past this point. (laughs) That's 100%. We hold ourselves back because we are afraid of looking dumb. Um, But unfortunately, the only way to learn is to look dumb when we're talking about relationships because, man, that was a big one for me. Um, Yeah. Like, I just 
never understood relationships and talking one-on-one -on -one with the girl i could always feel the vibe like i can feel we're actually getting close we're talking and things are going well mm -hmm. uh, and that was like my internal sense of things are going well but then when we were in public um she would be cold uh like the inside jokes that we had weren't funny anymore mm. uh, and shit like that and like that started to mess with me because i've always been this type of person who i don't have a show personality i have one personality and that's the one that everyone gets mm -hmm. uh, but that's kind of when i started to learn that you need to have a show personality like just because you and so and so vibed in private and you had a really good time doesn't mean she wants to take that shit to public which kind of mixes in with like is she ashamed of you mm. uh, or are you not good enough for her or is it just a thing that kids do so like yeah but i was also a really uh, weird kid because i was pretty grand um in my humorous personality like um if we had an inside joke i would want to crack that joke in public mm. not not really aware or caring of how it would look to everyone else versus just the two of us. Mm. So if I cracked cracked a joke like, um, like oh yeah, like I can't even remember anything in particular. But <laughs> they probably were not that good, so it's okay. They were not that good, but like no, like there are certain things like if we could interact in private, and I thought it was pretty funny, mm. and then I try and do this like make it public the 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 equivalent of that day's version of posting your girlfriend mm. if i tried to make it public she'd be the first one to be like yo my social status will be affected by you doing this so then she'd be like i don't want to talk to you no 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 but then later on she'd be like like later on when we're in private again she'd be like trying to talk to me she wouldn't even apologize or acknowledge it she just try and talk to me and when i say she um there's no individual in particular it's just a pattern mm. um, of how my interactions with with girls sort of went and yeah. this this went on well into adulthood um by the time i was in college is when i had figured it out it's a social status thing okay i have fun with you when it's just me and you but like i don't want everybody to know that uh because i want to be seen as a certain person yeah i was always like if we're gonna be goofy let's be goofy if we're gonna have fun let's be fun but by the time i was in high school college i'd already also started acting and pretending like yo i'm not this but the problem with me is i couldn't keep the act up mm. that mask that mask had way too many cracks like people would be able to see the real me in a minute and it mm -hmm. would be now really weird and awkward because i'd be really interesting because i'm i'm cool and aloof and then i'd no longer be interesting because i talk too much and like i'm emotional and i want you to know me as who i am mm. um, you get friend zone a lot i'll tell you that <laughs> you're a friend and um unfortunately people are gonna have to go through that a lot when they're growing up because when you're an adult um a lot of people don't learn it unfortunately even by the time they are getting married but when you are getting married i hope you marry your friend um because yeah. that's what you need you need someone who's gonna be authentic with you and just tell you the shit that's going on but also tell you the really funny thing that happened in the office or like they're just themselves 
And there are going to be times when it's too much and you just tell the person it's too much. Mm. And there are going to be times where you're really enjoying yourself. And um, those things kind of have to find a balance and they harmonize. And um, that's generally how it goes. So, yeah. Relationships for me, never the easiest thing because I just, I hadn't found a friend um, or someone willing to take the risk to be my friend publicly. Yeah. <laughs> a quick trigger warning on this episode we do explore some themes around depression and suicide so if those themes are triggering for you consider this your warning um if you have little ones listening as well you might want to put your headphones in now um you've talked about your dad like a couple of times so mm-hmm. A year on, or I, I guess like a year later, or a year and something later, um, since he passed away, like how do you feel? How do you feel now, like about yourself, about yourself as a father, as a man? Like, what has that period of time without him like been been like for you? Um, I consider myself to be okay, mm. um, because. I got to know him before he died, which is a big missing piece. And I think a lot of people would would resonate is, your father's a threat. He's not uh, someone you're supposed to know and be friends with. He's someone that your mom is supposed to tell you, if your father sees this, you'll be in trouble. Mm. Um, And that's normal for a lot of African homes, but if you don't really know your father um, and then they pass away, you're gonna have a worse time of it but by the time he was dying I got him I understood him uh, we'd had a lot of conversations about life about fatherhood about how how to manage things and like I just feel like I was I was okay even by the time he did die I was okay mm. because I knew him and he was now a part of me um as well versus like he was a stranger that I didn't get to know he was a part of me now and uh, those lessons and those conversations would stay on. It's funny because, like, my father was the first person I told I was considering taking my life, which was weird because me and him um, at that time, this was about 10 years ago, mm. um, me and him didn't have the best relationship because, like I said, I was all over the place doing all the things, uh, being all the embarrassing, just non-stop um, mm. and he was doing his best to to manage that and to manage his own emotions and to also deal with life as it was coming um, I remember because it was after a particularly nasty failure in relationships um, and I just I had already had a lot of stuff going on in my head and emotionally and like this was just the screw the final screw in the coffin and i was like finally ready to to do something about it Mm. but i wasn't ready to die Mm. and my dad was the one who some like one morning i just walked into his room because it was just um the three me him and austin staying in nairobi at that time and i was like um i'm not okay and I'm, I think I'm going to need some help because if I don't get help soon, 
I'll probably find some way to to kill myself and to just I was very direct with him mm. and he literally just sat there and he looked at me and he listened to what I was saying and I explained the whole thing with the relationship and I saw that was very much the very first time I saw my father um as he was like defenseless take all the bravado and take all the toughness of being a military person away that was the first time I saw him we didn't have like some deep hug moment where he threw his arms around me and told me you're my son and I'll get you anything you wanted <laughs> he very mechanically told me if it's about girls uh be careful you have to take care of yourself because you don't know what people have um i understand what you're feeling and you just take life one thing one one day at a time and you you do your best there's nothing you can do beyond that you just do your best and that's what i can give you mm. and you know that seems like an anti climax because this is the part of the movie where the dad rises to the occasion and says i got you son mm. but why i say i saw my dad for the first time is he literally told me one thing every parent should at some point be comfortable telling their child i don't know Mm. um he looked at me suicidal and he said to me i don't know what to do um he tried to do something you see he was still trying not to look stupid mm. but he 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 looked at me and he said i don't know what to do mm. uh secondly um why it ties back to stupid as an identity is in that moment when my dad said you know if it's about girls he gave me the hiv talk <laughs> and then like um and then he just gave me some mechanical advice on how to just take life at a time yeah. he was telling me what he's doing um, yeah that's actually what i was going to say it sounds as though in in that moment like i think the the greatest thing that your dad did for you in that moment other than admitting he didn't know was also kind of show you like this is literally how i am doing it <laughs> and i'm telling you that this is maybe how you should also do it cuz i don't know half the time and i'm just doing it one day at a time it sounded like he was telling himself also more than he was telling you look at me making assumptions about the situation and i wasn't even there but <laughs> No no you you are actually understanding it and I don't know if it's because we've been married so long that you understand the things I say I don't know if anyone else would understand it but mm. like you're understanding it as I understood it even then which is sort of like it's always been me um my personality or my psyche from when I was a kid is I understand things when people are saying things I can tell what's meant for me and what's not meant for me because saying even mm. though I can feel the vibe on whether are we connecting or we are not connecting i can feel it and i'm with especially with people close to me i can feel it when they're saying something to me that's for me and mm-hmm. when they're saying something to me that's for them and in that moment when my dad was speaking the stuff about hiv that was for me yeah um, that was for you because <laughs> just, yeah he was just uh, not that i was particularly promiscuous i mean i was sleeping with one person but like <laughs> i was a really dumb kid who you know cheap condoms and not I don't know what her sexual health or history is she's cheating on me so I don't know what she is getting because mm. um, that's one of the things I did tell my dad is like this this person uh cheated on me and this is what I'm feeling I feel inferior and he was like first of all 
um, let's talk about HIV. Like, like, don't make the situation worse. Is basically mm. what you're saying. Like, I hope you haven't caught something that would make the situation worse. Um, and that's not to say he was a bad guy who stigmatizes or anything. He was just talking to his son in that moment. Yeah. And then secondly, he was telling me like, dude, life hits me hard. And that's why you see me sitting on this bed this morning. And thank you for coming to talk to me. Now, I'm going to tell you what I do yeah. to keep myself going. I take it one day at a time. I try to relax um, and I don't punish myself too much. And that's the best I can offer you. And in that moment, I was like, I understand what he's saying. Like, I understand he's one, just showing himself to me for once and just saying, I don't have the answer. Um, but I also understand what he's saying in that you just got to do this. You got to figure it out, man. You got to figure it out. And as, as like he didn't, he's not the one who got me the therapist and what not, but from that moment, I figured it out. Like I didn't take the, the in quotes, easy way out. Yeah. Cause I know my relationship with suicidal depression, I know it's not an easy thing, but it's a solution that will give you so much peace. In fact, one of the things that I know about being suicidal is you know you're ready when you feel peaceful. Mm. Um, if, you're, if you're walking around telling everyone that you want to kill yourself, you're not ready. Yeah. But the moment you feel calm and you start giving things away, like, yo, I've seen you always looking at these shoes. Uh, do you like them? Yeah, they're yours. Mm. But yo, like, yeah, here's here's my PS, man, because you've always been a really good friend. You're basically signing goodbye notes when you're doing that. When you're doing it with a smile and you're calm, mm. that's when you're now ready. You've worked up that nerve. And by the time I was talking to my father, I was basically informing him very calmly that I may need help in the next um, couple of weeks or so. Yeah. Um, or I'm just not going to be here anymore because I am tired. And I am ready to be out and done with it. Mm. Um, yeah, and unfortunately, most of the time, not most of the time, but for me in particular, me, one person not speaking for anyone else, the trigger for those is usually relationships. Yeah. Because it's learning, I figured out that you don't have to read, you can listen. And if you can listen, you can get an audiobook. Uh, and audiobooks usually have to be told as a story, otherwise they're boring. Um, like I figured out how to learn along the way, mm. but relationships are hard because people are different. Um, so like you may think you figured it out off of this one experience with so and so, but then when you try and apply that in your next relationship, what you've learned, you get slapped in the face with a completely different set of of circumstances. And I think the lesson I took from my dad from that talk was. Mm. You got to figure it out as it comes. Like, just be open and just say you don't know. And if this person is angry because you don't know, it is an indication that they don't know what they're doing and mm. that you are not responsible for helping them figuring it out, figure it out. Like, you can also bounce. Yeah. I've said many things. I, I didn't want to stop you because I feel like that's such a good place now to end. It's come to a nice natural full circle end. Um, but I do have one last question because the podcast is called Make a Clap, like butt cheeks, but also applause. Um, I wanted to know, what are you proud of about yourself in the last year? 
my daughter like, <laughs> that's saying, like how do i keep it about myself but she is literally the thing i'm proud of that yeah um like seeing her grow from when she was born um and being i think she's just i've been learning with her as she's learning how to be a person i've been learning with her mm. um and just being learning the patience and the tolerance and the calm to be able to help her with things uh to the point where she speaks she learned how to speak she speaks full sentences she opens doors turns on lights understands what a thunderstorm is and <laughs> the things the thing i am proud of is that that confidence is there Mm. It means I must be doing something right. If the confidence she has to learn is there, I'm doing something right. Yeah. Because um she doesn't do things quietly or in private. She does things in the open and asks questions in the open. And if she wants to do something and she doesn't want you to interfere, she tells you I'll do it. Yeah. Uh and she says it in a way that lets you know no, let <laughs> me do it. Let me try for myself. If she has that confidence it means whether it is on autopilot or on purpose I've been doing something right and that's that's where I'll keep going with it until the day comes where I now have to act- actively do things but so far on autopilot she just seems to be doing okay and I think a lot of that is if I can take care of myself yeah and understand my own operating system and and be stupid in many ways um and again not stupid as you're an idiot you're worthless you but stupid as being able to just say i don't know let's learn together um being able to share that with her is what's giving her that confidence to be like dad me and you when we were watching this thing we saw what a thunderstorm is yes yes mm. So a thunderstorm and then she explains it and then she keeps saying to me yes you see in that moment she's looking at her father like confirm to me that this is true mm. and i can look at her and be like yeah we're watching the same thing i confirm to you that this is true um mm. i want her to feel that even when she's like 20 that she can come to me and say your dad this and this is happening confirm to me that it's true and i can either say to her yes or i don't know mm. Oh, you're a great dad though. I tell you that all the time. You're a really good dad. Uh we'll we'll know that for sure when she graduates from college. <laughs> even on autopilot. Yeah, even on autopilot. We'll know for sure when she graduates college because when your child graduates from college, that's like retirement for a parent. Yeah, oh man, I yeah, can't I can't way. wait. You, you've done your best. Uh, <laughs> now it is for them to I mean you'll still help them out like place to live. Well, that brings us to the end of our conversation. <laughs> was was it as good for you as it was for me? <laughs> always, babe, always. <laughs> um, yeah, so where can the people find you if they want to follow you or check um, you out? Um, I'm guessing there'll be a link in the description, but I am yeah. A the Onyango on everything. Uh, but if you just google Andrew Onyango, you'll find me. Yeah. I'm... Well, thank thank you for opening up for sharing um some of that stuff I know is like you have to take this whole journey back into 
times that were less than simple. So thank you for being open and being honest and a great conversationalist as always. Happy. I'm, I'm always happy to open my mouth and say things I have no idea about and yeah. see how people react. Then I'm like, oh, okay. So don't talk about this. <laughs> I'm always happy to and that brings us to the end of the episode uh i want to say thanks to my husband andrew for making the time to be on this episode for being open and honest um i've always told him that i think he's a really great conversationalist and so i'm happy that he was able to come on the podcast and uh share this with you guys so you can also get a glimpse of that side uh of his that I think is pretty great. Um, you can find him on Twitter, on Instagram, pretty much everywhere at a the Onyango, and uh, make sure you follow the podcast on Instagram at Make It Clap Pod. The website will be live soon, I promise. Um, but for now, thanks for listening, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>